Brian comes for the reading, we'll say the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, whose spirit comes to us in moments of both strength and weakness, come now into our midst that we might be able to hear your word in fullness and in truth. We pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our first reading in the scriptures is from the Old Testament, Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 7. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. Our second reading uh, is from the Old Testament, Psalm 146, and will be responsive. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord for as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes and mortals in whom there is no help. When we breathe the hearts, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord uplifts those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Our next reading is from the New Testament, James 2, verses 1 to 12. My brothers and sisters, Do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, Have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, Stand there, or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who oppress you. It is not they who drag you into court. Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those are to be judged by the law of liberty. Our last reading is from the New Testament, Mark 7, verses 24 to 37. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syro-Phoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by the way to Sodom towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. They brought him to a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every now and then on social media, the question will appear, if you could go back to high school again, knowing everything that you know now, would you go? And the overwhelming response, if you read the comments afterwards, that people give to this question is, no. No, I would never want to go back to high school, even knowing what I know now. As our young people prepare to return for school again this week, it's good for us to assure them that they're not alone in the struggles that go along with being in school. School years are hard. 
despite all of the friends that we might have and that we enjoy or all of the activities that we are engaged and involved in, despite our love of learning and the adventure that comes along with discovering new things, high school years are those times when we are trying to figure out who we are and where we fit in the world. And that is not an easy task. It is fraught with so many things that are beyond our control. We worry about how others are going to respond to us, how others are going to see us, whether others will accept us or not. And it is made extra difficult because those whom we are looking to for acceptance are going through the exact same struggles of identity too. They worry about will they be associating with the right people, the cool people, the people who will give them a certain amount of credibility as they walk through the hallways each day. And it's this struggle for identity and where and how we fit in that is at the heart of this morning's gospel reading. Indeed, we find the struggle to figure out our place in this reading just a little bit jarring. As we begin the reading that you just heard from uh, that, uh, that Brian read, perhaps a little bit of background would be helpful. Jesus, you see, is traveling, as Jesus is wont to do in the gospel stories. Jesus has journeyed to the very northern part, northern reaches of the promised land, into the area around Lake Gennesaret, near what is now the the, the Syrian and Turkish borders. The seat of Jewishness, far to the south in Jerusalem, that place where the identity of the people was almost palpable, is far, far away from where Jesus is. And so the identity of the people is just a little bit more in doubt. Jesus is still in the land of Judah, but the people are more Gentile. Than Jew. Indeed, the name of the area that Mark gives is Decapolis. The Decapolis, which also gives us a hint of the otherness of this place. Decapolis is a Greek word. And these ten cities, for those who remember their, their um, metric system, Deca means ten, right? Decapolis. Ten cities. These ten cities were are the remnant of the Greek cities that had been established by Alexander the Great 400 years previously. These cities were the centers of trade that dotted the Alexander's great empire. And they remained throughout the intervening centuries as bustling centers of trade on the route toward the Mediterranean Sea, and they were Greek cities. They weren't Hebrew cities. They were different cities. Everything about them was different. The language was different. 
The culture or cultures as people moved through them were different. Their people were different from the Jewish kingdom in which they lived. They simply didn't fit in. And it's this class of cultures that we hear portrayed as Jesus interacts with this woman, a native of Syrophoenicia, who has come seeking an exercise for her daughter. In Jesus' response, we hear that age-old tension that exists, that is inherent in Scripture about the promises of God. What does it mean for the Jewish people to be God's chosen people? And how then do they relate to the rest of the world? Who are they? Where do they fit in? Who is everyone else? And how do they all relate? It's a struggle. Jesus struggles with it too, it seems. Mark, unfortunately, gives us no detail that lies behind Jesus' response other than what I've just shared with you, that he is in a strange and a foreign place, a different place. But that's what makes it jarring for us, that Jesus seems to notice this difference. And Jesus responds to this woman when she comes seeking exorcism for her daughter. Jesus says, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and to throw it to the dogs. Jesus' response, I think, is startling for us. Much to our surprise, Jesus' response seems to emphasize the differences in this story. It's a response that seems to fence off the grace of God from anyone who was outside of the covenant of Israel. It seems to fence off the grace of God from this woman and her daughter. But perhaps what is just as startling is the quick-wittedness of this woman because she recognizes what is being said and has a response just like that. I don't know about you, but often I find myself in awkward situations and driving home 15 minutes later in the car, the perfect response comes. But it's 15 minutes too late. Not for this woman. She is right on the ball. She recognizes that she is not one of the children of God, that she is an other. She struggles, too, with that. How does the promise relate to her, especially when Jesus places it in these stark terms of being like throwing the children's food to the dogs? And she is the dog. But this woman will not be deterred. Sir, she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And in those words, we hear humility and faithfulness. And that humility and that faithfulness seems to sway the heart of Jesus. For anyone who, is, who has been associated with the Anglican Church, whether you 
grew up there perhaps or spent some time worshiping amongst the Anglican communion, they will immediate, you will immediately recognize these words of the Syrophoenician woman as being the heart of a, of a special prayer within the Anglican liturgy for communion. It is called the prayer of humble access. And it goes like this. We do not presume to come to this table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We be not worthy so much as to gather the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son and to drink his blood in these holy mysteries that we may continually dwell in him and he in us, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our sins washed through his most precious blood. Amen. You hear in that prayer the humility of of that woman and its faithfulness and the allusion to that those words that we are not so worthy as to gather up the crumbs under the table of the Lord. Rather than focus on the difficulties of the response of Jesus in this passage this morning, I would suggest that we place our attention on what this text seeks to tell us about the the kingdom of God. And And its message is that twofold message of the prayer of humble approach. It begins that none of us are worthy in and of ourselves. James corrected the Christian community when they sought to garner the favor of those who might come in to the worship, into their worship, who might have more resources, those who were rich, to sit at the prized places, whereas they kick kick the poor to the side so that they may may not interrupt in the worship service at all. But the, the words of the woman reminds us that none of us come to worship as those who are worthy. Our only worthiness rests in the fact that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save us from our sin. That through Christ we are made worthy and recipients and heirs of the promise that God makes to the people. And heirs, all of us being heirs. Not one group over the other. Not one societal group over the other. And then there is that humble faith that is articulated by that woman. She comes to Jesus seeking healing for her daughter because she is at the end of her rope. There is nothing left for her but to appeal to this man. And in her appeal, she sets aside all pride so that she might receive the gift that she seeks, that her daughter might have life. 
likewise for us. We come into this place each week, set aside from the busyness and all of those other things that we do in our lives, things that ascribe to us value and worth, to come into this place where we know that the only worth we have is the worth that rests in the eyes of God, who looks down upon us with compassion and love and seeks to, to, to redeem us and make us whole. If we come in humility and with faith, we will be received. Now, to the sermon title for a minute, because it may have looked curious to you. And indeed, we had to get it just right. As I was thinking about this sermon this week, it struck me, put enough space between the letters and one is struck with a a paradox. Alienation or alienation. The two words instead of the one, and I know there's an an N missing, but uh, it's not quite a perfect illusion, but it goes Work with me. How easy is it for us to define our lives by by means of alienation? To see all of those things that separate us from others as well. Those things that make us different from others. As we look at this reading, Mark underscores all of those things that should have separated Jesus from this place. Jesus from the people. And Jesus from the women. And yet, the power of her great intercession is such that even though she lives outside the covenant of the Old Testament kingdom, she is still numbered among those who are part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is an alien nation. But not in a bad way. It is an alien nation because it is comprised exclusively of those who have no reason to be included. A diverse group of of individuals cut off by their waywardness, their sin, of different race and class and creed. And yet, all one drawn by Christ's love. The good news that we receive today is that if we come humbly and faithfully, Jesus welcomes us and heals us and gives us hope to face the challenges that lie before us. And for that, we give thanks and praise to God. Amen.